from St. Paul's epistle to the Colossians, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, good morning. We are continuing our, our sermon mini-series on St. Paul's epistle to the Colossians. Uh, Colossus, of course, was a city in uh, modern-day Turkey. And if we've, as we've been looking at this text over the past couple of weeks, we've noticed that the church at Colossus Colossae, and the church today are actually in very similar spots, meaning that the culture in which the Colossian church lived and their, the church were radically different, and our own culture is increasingly moving more and more in a non-Christian worldview. Even now, I think we can all agree, right? And I don't think this is a bad thing necessarily, but the church and the, the, church and the culture are beginning to bifurcate more and more. I'll give you an example. Uh, there's a group called the Barna Group, and the Barna Group is a group that does a statistical research on church life and things like that. And uh, they had a, a, a report back in the year 2000 called the, sounds very official, the State of the Church Report. Um, it's not good. Uh, well, maybe it is, actually. We'll see that in a minute. Uh, what they discovered actually was fascinating, that in the year 2000, when the, when the study was conducted, in the year 2000, 45% of, the American, of Americans said that they were practicing Christians. Then just 20 years later, in 2020, the report came out again, and they discovered that that number had declined to just 25%. That's a 20% decrease in as many years. It's a staggering decline. And a lot of church people were like, oh no, right? The sky is falling. It's like a bunch of chicken littles on a, culture, on a, in, a, uh, in a gathering. Uh, everybody was all on Twitter about it, and I, I, I don't think it's true. I'm actually not worried about it at all. I shouldn't say not at all. I'm not worried about it uh, for two reasons, frankly. First, and I've talked about this before, Jesus says that you are the church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So the matter is already decided. It's not a matter of the church dying. The church goes in and up and down, always has culturally. But as I said a couple of weeks ago, the, the gates of hell do not prevail against the church. So we really have fundamentally nothing to fear. And then secondly, as the culture and the church bifurcate and the cultural Christians begin to decline in number, I think this is actually, as my dad used to say, out of crisis comes opportunity. Here's the deal, in my opinion. For too long, at least the last 50 years, if not longer, maybe the last 100, uh, the church has gotten way, way too complacent. The church has become almost indistinguishable from the culture in which we live. I mean, I'll give you one example. St. Pope Francis, right, going what he's doing. I'm not going to knock on him too much because I don't know much about him other than his politics are increasingly becoming more and more secular in the church. But even in our own denomination, uh, we had our general convention recently, and there was all sorts of resolutions passed about race and gender and sexual orientation and, and the climate change. And these aren't bad things necessarily, but for crying out loud, where's the gospel? <laughs> where's Jesus? Where's the cross? Where is the idea, which is fundamental to what we do, about the brokenness of humanity and how the cross of Jesus solves the problem? Where's that message? And, the, and what I'm saying to that is, the reason I'm saying that is that, you know, Jesus says something to us profound uh, elsewhere in Scripture. He says that you, y'all, second person plural, we are called to be, it's a metaphor, salt and light. 
Salt preserves and light exposes, right? So if we're called to be salt and light, that means we are as a church meant to be a preservative of, of the culture in which we live, right? We're, we're meant to be the glue that holds this whole shooting match together. That's what we is to be salt. But then to be light is to speak truth into the culture in which we find ourselves, to show the world, listen, our job, and we've dropped the ball, is to show the world a different and better way to live. It's nothing new. It's always been this way. And so we continue along in our mini-series about the Colossian church and look at the story of the Colossian church not as a history lesson, but as a practical lesson. How do we live? How do we as Christians live in a culture which is moving further and further away at an increasing rate? from the Christian faith. Two points this morning. I'm going to look at right out of the text. The first thing, if we're going to deal with this as a missionary opportunity, as an opportunity, we've got to know two things. We've got to know where we are going as the Christians. We've got to know where we're going, and we need to live like we believe it. So if we're going to be in a culture which is radically moving away from uh, where the church stands, we as the church need to know where we are going, point one, and secondly, we need to live like we actually believe it. So first thing is we need to know where we are going. You may not know this. Some of you do. Some of you don't. Um, but I was raised a nominal Roman Catholic, meaning that we were, we were Christmas and Easter Christians, but only on even-numbered years, right? So, so it, it wasn't like we went every year, Christmas and Easter. It was every, year, every other year, maybe. And if it's a leap year, you skipped. I'm making that up. But the point I want you to see is I went to, I went to, Christian, I went to Catholic high school, and I'm not knocking the Roman Catholic Church. It's not their fault. It's mine. Uh, I just didn't really care, right? I was kind of out of the church, didn't really care, didn't know what I was missing. I, I wasn't really all that concerned about Christianity or Jesus or any of this stuff. But I will never forget when I got my senior class ring. I'll never forget. I was so excited. I, I, I haven't the foggiest idea where it is now. Couldn't tell you. Kathy said, it's in one of your drawers. I'm like, yeah, probably. Who knows? But I'll never forget when I got my senior ring. It was a gold ring, big old, you know, cl class ring, a gold ring with a green-colored, semi-precious stone, i.e. glass, on the inside of it, right? And inscribed on the, on the inside of the ring was inscribed my name, Christopher Michael Rodriguez. They fit the whole thing. I couldn't believe it. And then... Here's the cool thing. Right on the other side of the ring were the following words. Seek the things that are above. I remember reading that, and, my, and I went like this. <laughs> what? Things above. I, I had no idea, right? Seek, this is right out of the, and it took a long time for this to actually mean anything to me. And I'd forgotten all about this until I was preaching on it this week. But this line from Colossians, seek the things that are above, was inscribed on the inside of my school ring. I wonder if the Lord planted that little seed there for me way back when I was 18 years old. And now, finally, at 53, it's coming to fruition. <laughs> but uh, what does that mean? What is seek the things that are above? It sounds very mysterious, right? Very spiritual. Well, that word seek, let's start there real, real quick. That word seek is the Greek word zateio. And when you hear the word seek, uh, you probably think, this is what I would think, that to seek after things is like to find something which is, to look for something which is difficult, right? Seeking means, you know, you got to like really look around. You might not find it because it's pretty tricky, like finding Sasquatch or, you know, 
hide and seek with your brother and sister when you're a little kid. But that word seek is the word zateo. And it's really cool. It doesn't just mean look for something. In fact, it doesn't mean to look for something which is hard to find. It means to look for something with urgency. It means to look with something with a sense of urgency. It means to look for something because your life depends on it. Zateo, give you an example. Three years ago, I went to, the, went to the doctor. You know, you wake up, and you, I woke up one morning, and I couldn't hear out of my left ear all that well. I thought I had fluid in my ear. You ever get that? You get fluid or you get like a cold, whatever. And I've had sinus problems my whole life. So I'm like, ah, I've weirdly got some fluid in there, but it didn't go away. So I went to the doctor, and I said, hey, uh, hey doc, Richard, I, Dr. Richard, I need some, some meds for my ear. I got a, my ear's clogged. I got something in there, fluid or whatever. He goes, well, let me check it out. And he takes the earoscope, whatever it's called, the little thingy bob you put in your ear, he looks in there, and he goes, and it was only on one side. He goes, nope, you're clear. What? Yep, you're clear. He goes, I'm sending you to an ENT. So he did, ear, nose, and throat doctor. So I went to a doctor named Kathy Baggett, who's a rock star. If you ever needed an ENT, she's awesome. She's in town here. She ran some tests. She's like, well, that's pretty strange. Unilateral hearing loss, no fluid in there. Hmm. Let's run some tests. So hearing test, yep, hearing is degraded. MRI, all that rigmarole. She comes back and she says, well, I got some bad news for you. You drew the short straw, she said. You, have a, you should play the lottery today because you got a 1 in 100,000 chance of getting something called an acoustic neuroma. Anybody here know what that is? I'd never heard of an acoustic neuroma, even when I could hear out of my ear. I'd never heard of an acoustic neuroma. It's a 1 in 100,000 chance. And what it basically is, is a non-cancerous brain tumor. I have it. It's not going to kill me. Um, worrying about it might kill me, but it won't kill me itself. Uh, and I don't care who you are. I don't care who you are. If you hear these two words, brain tumor, from your doctor, that's kind of going to get your attention. Can we disagree on that? Okay. So I'm like, huh. So I did, I heard what she said. I was a bit in shock. I called Kathy on the way home. And uh, so I got home and I did what anybody would do with that news. I got home and I went and I Googled it. Right? That's what you do. I spent hours, I spent hours Googling acoustic neuroma. I was, listen, I was seeking information about it. I was, I was totally engaged in finding out what this was about because my life depended on it. That's the idea. Seek the kingdom of God because your life depends upon it. This brings me to my first point. If we as Christians are going to live in a culture which is radically different than Christian, with a Christian face, than our Christian worldview, if we are going to live in a culture as faithful followers of Jesus Christ, we've got to know where we are going. My dad used to say to me, Chris, if you don't know where you're going, you'll never know when you get there. See, here's the thing. I said last week, as part of this series, that part of what Paul says last week is you, as, you are rooted and ground in Christ. You are rooted in Jesus. As a, as a Christian, your, your entire life is changed, being transformed, because you draw from this source underneath the soil that nobody else can see. It's like being a, a tree rooted in soil. Paul says, you are rooted in Christ. And then he says, seek 
If you are, therefore, if you are rooted in Christ, seek the things that are above. You've got to know where, if you're going to be a Christian in this culture and make a difference, you've got to know where you're going. You've got to know what you're after. You've got to know what you seek. So where is your destination? You know, everybody's got one. And most of us never stop to think about this. But everybody's got a goal in mind. In graduate school, I studied something called goal-setting theory. How do people set goals for their lives? Everyone's got a goal. Everyone's got a destination in their mind. Whether you've really thought about this at length or not, I want to challenge you to do that. Because whatever your end goal is, that is what you seek, you see. And the important thing is that what you seek determines what you will prioritize. What you seek determines how you will set your goals. What you seek determines how you will see the world around you. What you seek determines how you will live. There's an old saying that everybody lives for something. It's true. Or you might say everybody, everybody seeks something. And as Christians, we believe that Jesus Christ was crucified, dead, and buried. He died. He rose from the dead. I didn't always believe this, but I do now because I believe in science, and I've studied this, and I'm convinced this is true. That Jesus Christ was died, was resurrected from the dead, ro- was ascended, rose bodily, physically, ascended back into heaven. And here, there he is even now. And we say every Sunday, we'll say it in a few minutes, that he will come again with glory to judge the quick and the dead. The church has prayed this for 2,000 years. It's known as the Nicene Creed, that Christ is on his throne in glory in heaven, even now, seated at the right hand of the Father, even now, that Christ is on his throne, even now. On the right hand of God means that here is God, here is Jesus to the right hand. That right hand imagery means that God has delegated to him all authority. Seated at the right hand of the Father, he shall come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom, operative word, will have no end. And the thing is, if that's true, and it is true, and I can prove it, that when he returns, that changes the whole game, man. If it's true that Christ is alive and is seated on his throne in heaven, and when he returns, he will set the world to rights, that means that no matter what happens to us, no matter what happens to you, Jesus reigns. And when he returns, he will raise the dead, and he will put the whole shooting match back together. This is why, friends, this is why Christianity is so countercultural. Because we, friends, live in a different kingdom. There's the kingdom of this world with its values, with its worldview, and there's the kingdom of God with Jesus at the center. Our hope as Christians is not in this world. Could you imagine if it were? Our hope is not in this world. It's a fallen, broken mess. Our hope is not in this world, but in the world to come. Paul writes, seek, live for, strive for, focus on where he is. Set your minds. 
That word mind is the word noose. It means like your will, your intention, everything about you. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. These things will pass away. They will fail you. He says, set your mind on those things. So here's a question. Is your mind set on things that are above? How do you know? Well, when you read about rampant corruption in the government, for example, the other day I was working out, and I, read, I saw a thing on TV about the Chinese, I can't even believe we're saying this, the Chinese are threatening to shoot down the Speaker of the House's plane if she goes to Taiwan. Like, really? That's where we are? When you hear stories about the filth that is put in our public schools for our children, the educational system, when you read these things on TV, do you feel helpless? Do you, the person, do you feel discouraged? Do you ask yourself, what can I do? Well, here's the problem. You're forgetting something important. You're forgetting that Jesus is in control. You're forgetting that Christ is on his throne even now. And it's not your problem to fix it. It's his. He may very well use you, but it's way above your pay grade. When you see the things in this world, you, we should be shocked. We should be, because the kingdom of this world operates in an entirely different frame of reference than we do. When you think to yourself, how in the world can these people be so out of their mind? Because they don't see the world the same way that you do. But it's not your problem to fix it. And if you think it is, you're, you're trying to be God. I had a friend of mine, my, my, um, and again, we all, we all fall prey to this, which is why Paul says, seek what's there, not here. I had my, my spiritual director when I was a young man once said to me, he said, look, he goes, I was worried about something, I forget what it is. He says, look, he goes, here's the deal. He says, you're a Christian. I said, yep. He said, say your prayers. He said, no, he said, do what you can do. It was some problem. I forget what it is. Hey, look, he said, Father Gross, he said, look, Chris, do what you can do, say your prayers, and go to bed. That's great advice. It's way above your pay grade there, Sonny, what he's trying to tell me. Seek first Christ on his throne. It's his job to fix this mess. He may, cause, he may call you to be a part of the solution. And in fact, if you know anything about this parish, one of the things we did three years ago was start a Christian, a Christian preschool. We're launching a Christian kindergarten this year. Why? Because we are offering a Christian alternative to the public school system. God called us to that. He called me to that. He's called us as a parish to that effort. So in that sense, yes, we are part of the solution on a micro level. But don't forget that Christ is the one who's in charge, not you, not me. If you, wanna, if you want to be a force for change in our culture, and even skip that, not even worry about the culture, worry about your family, worry about our church, worry about your marriage, worry about your own heart. Bring it in, right? Put first things first. Set your minds on Christ. Set your mind and your heart and your being on Jesus on his throne. Make him, keep him your focus. That's our first point. Know where you're going. Know where you're going and stay focused on that. And then the second point is live like you believe that. 
You know, one of the things about being a Christian is you realize that we say a lot of things we believe and we don't actually act that way. It's not just you, it's me too. Christianity is a progression. It's called sanctification. Paul says, if you look here, he says, if you've been raised with Christ, seek, set your minds, put to death, therefore, things that are earthly in you. It's a process. He's saying, once you have put on Christ, these are where you should be going, seeking Jesus, doing the right thing, trying to put away all manner of immorality and purity and passion and evil and covetousness. Stop living the way that you used to live and live like God has called you to. Live like you mean it. Live like you really believe that you are a citizen of a different kingdom. The kingdom of God, this sort of nebulous idea, is nothing more than living like God would have us live in his kingdom in this one. I'll give you one example. We say it every week. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Those are kingdom values. They're not earthly values. Set your minds on Christ. He says if he is your goal, then your life should look differently than it did. See, we live in two different... We live in... This will help you. We live in two different kingdoms, two different planets, you might say. One earthly where we live, and one heavenly that we are members of and called to live like we were there already. And as we strive to live for our Lord, we need to be conscious not to live as the world lives, but to live as God would have us live. Because how you, what you seek determines how you will live. I'll give you a couple of examples. Simple stuff. Love your enemies. That is a Kingdom of God value, not a kingdom of this world value. Pray for those who persecute you. That's a kingdom of God value. Love your enemies. Forgive those who have wronged you. Turn the other cheek. This is crazy stuff from an earthly perspective, but that's the entire point. As kingdom dwellers, as kingdom citizens, we are called to live by those standards in this world. And friends, if you want to change the world, that's how you do it. Your friends will say, you're going to forgive someone who wronged you? Someone's talking smack about you and you're not going to gossip about them back? That's right, because I'm a Christian. I live by a different standard. I seek the kingdom of God and I live like I believe it. There's nothing new. There's nothing new. The church has always lived this way. If you know your church history, you know, it's been worse <laughs> a lot. If you know your church history, the first, in the first century, way early, well, actually the first three centuries of the church's uh, life in Roman, the Roman Empire, the church was a very small fringe group of people that were persecuted insanely persecuted by the Roman authorities. The Romans did what people always do. They accused the Christians of being um, pedophiles because they referred to, or incestuous because they referred to each other as brother and sister. Those, the Romans would say, those Christians are having sex with each other. That's how they did it. That's how you get people to turn on people, right? You put them in an out group. That they were cannibals because we ate blood, ate flesh and drank blood. And they were pedophiles. That's what, they, that's what the Roman culture believed about the church. And so when the Romans would drag these Christians into the Colosseum, kill them, kill them, right? The Romans were good at that sort of thing. They were, and they were, the Christians were, uh, 
were blamed for being insurrectionists because they wouldn't worship the emperor. So you get the idea. If you want to create an elk group, you put all this stuff on top of them, and then you blame them for that problem. The Christians would be persecuted, dragged out into the Colosseum, as the crowd would stand by cheering, as these Christians were lit on fire, <laughs> eviscerated, raped, assaulted, let fed to wild animals, crucified. You get the idea. But here's the kicker. Here's the, here's the changer. The fascinating thing was that as these Christians were led out into the Colosseum to die, they didn't plea for mercy. No, they didn't do that. They didn't, you know, give, a, give the high sign to their persecutors or shout obscenities to them or curse them. Nope, didn't do that either. You know what they did? They sang hymns. Imagine if you were being dragged out, your family stripped naked and beaten out in a, in a coliseum of a screaming crowd. You know what's coming, and your first instinct is to sing a hymn to God. <laughs> why would you do such a thing? I'll tell you why. Because the early church, they sought the kingdom of God. They sought Christ on his throne. They knew Christ would return, and they lived like it. And the key is it changed the world. And it will work again. You want to be a force for change. You want to change the culture, the world, our country, your families, your marriage. Seek the things that are above and live like you believe it. Live like you mean it. Be a force. Be a witness to the power of God who has changed your life and is changing your life for good. Be a witness to the power of God who changes cultures and families and whole empires for good. Be that person who seeks God first and his kingdom and live like you believe it. That is how we change the world for good. Shall we pray? Father, remind us to set our minds on Christ, on his throne, to focus on him as we wait for his return. As we wait, help us to live lives patiently, joyfully, expectantly, being people who live like members who live in your kingdom, in, a, in the kingdom of this world. Help us to be an example to a broken and fallen world. Help us to be changed people who change people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook.